Hey everyone, welcome back to New Slang. I'm music journalist Thomas Mooney. This is episode 156, where I'm joined by singer-songwriter Pony Bradshaw. So I spoke with Bradshaw last week about his new album called Calico Jim. It's officially out this Friday, January 29th. Honestly, I cannot believe that January is nearly over. Last year just moved at like that glacial speed, and this year is just like in a double time. Anyway though, Bradshaw has become like one of my favorite songwriters of the past few years. And actually like last year, he was gonna be playing a show at Blue Light, I wanna say in early April, which obviously got wiped out due to COVID. I'm pretty sure we would have had him on New Slang way back then, had things just been normal. Anyway, he released an album called Sudden Opera back in like 2018 that quickly became one of my favorite albums. I just really loved how big that album felt. There was something very orchestral about it, even though it wasn't anything remotely chamber pop or like it wasn't just a lot of like violins and cellos and stuff like that. It just felt really, really giant and ornate and not even like in a pretentious way or where you could tell that they were trying to cover up bad songs by making them sound cool. This new album, Calico Jim, it's a little bit more down home. It's a little bit more what you would expect to come out of northern Georgia or southern Tennessee. It's a little bit slower paced and has a heightened focus on the storytelling arcs within those songs. There's still some of those atmospheric elements, but they're not as bold or as monolithic, which, yeah, all that really just serves the purpose of the song. We talk about a lot of the reasons why that was during this one. And yeah, I really enjoyed talking with James on this one. Today's presenting partner is our pals over at Desert Door Texas Soto. If you're asking yourself what exactly Desert Door or a Soto is, well, it's a premium, high-quality spirit that is similar to a tequila or a mezcal, but in my estimation, it's more refined, smooth, and fragrant. It has a distinct and intriguing palate that picks up on hints of vanilla and citrus while maintaining a healthy earthiness that is quite enjoyable. One of my favorite features about Desert Door is just how versatile it really is. If you want to feel fancy and a little highbrow, it's perfect for a variety of cocktails that call for lime wedges and coarse salt, chopped ginger, agave nectar, sprigs of thyme and sticks of cinnamon. If you're down to muddle some fresh fruit, all that kind of stuff, it's perfect. It's great for experimentation and fine tuning all of your mixologist skills. And then also, if you're a little bit more down home and casual, you got that denim jacket on. It's just perfect for those short and sweet, simple go-to favorites that hit the mark every time. I'm talking about ranch waters and Moscow mules and Palomas and and Mexican Coca-Cola with Desert Door. What I love so much about Desert Door is just how genuine and authentically West Texan they are as well. They go out and harvest soto plants out in the wild, and are aware and knowledgeable conservationists at heart. So next time you're at your neighborhood liquor store, get yourself a bottle of Desert Door. I'll throw a link into the show notes for more information. So yeah, let's get on to it. Here is Pony Bradshaw. Let's go and start off with, you know, you have this record coming out just next week and Calico Jim. And, you know, yes, this... Sir. Uh, been such a strange time this this past couple of years uh this last year specifically um first off like did did was this recorded during this past year or is does it stem back to even a little bit further back 
pre-quarantine times. Actually, it was recorded in August, so not even okay. Yeah, not even six months ago. Yeah, so I was writing them in the middle of all of uh, this pandemic and quarantining, right in the midst of it. Yeah, I actually kind of like. There's been a couple of people that I've talked with who obviously they pushed their records back because of just the, the uncertainty. But there's been a few people who I've talked with who have they recorded these records, their newest record, within the last year, and they already have it out or they're getting ready to put it out. And I yeah. think like just sometimes we, as you know, like the industry sometimes will just set on a record quote unquote waiting for the right time. And sometimes I just, or not sometimes, I think a lot of times the right time is just to get it out as quickly as possible. So you're still excited about those songs and everything that's attached to that. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with the latter part of that. I agree with all what you said. The industry, you know, there's certain guidelines and structures that they like, which makes sense whenever you think about um, it financially. It, it makes sense if you release a record when you can tour or hit the road and play shows and help, you know, uh, expose your record more, sell more records, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it makes sense to to put it out when you're touring, but I, I have no motives other than putting out music just whenever I feel like it, whenever I want to. And that's a, a big part of the reason why I left Rounder, you know, recently, because mm-hmm. I wanted to control when I released the record, you know, for the most part. So, uh, yeah, timing and strategy, all that comes into play when you when you're part of the industry of music, but in the big grand scheme of things, these timelines, I guess we'll look back at them as pretty ridiculous and it all, you know, look like some kind of, I don't know what it looks like, but <laughs> nobody's going to care when you released it, how much money that record made during that time or where it was on the chart. You know, if it's good, it'll be remembered. It's that simple, really. Yeah. And I, I think it all, for me, I can understand like how, you know, you, yeah, you want to have all those things in line and in order and do the best that you can. But also like sometimes like, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a time limit on, on some things because, you know, you don't want to um, have like three records in the works, you know what I mean? Just waiting on time yeah. because like, and of course, like there's been plenty of stories over the years of a record being shelved and just like that artist kind of moving on from that because it doesn't like bring them the same, I don't know. They don't feel the same way about it. And I think like yeah. a lot of this creation in the art, especially when it comes to music and recording, yeah. you know, these are like supposed to be like, you know, snapshots and there, there's an aspect of them having like getting out into the world as quickly as possible and being as close to, in a lot of ways, like that live performance, you know, which are just yeah. obviously like super quick snapshots. Yeah. I feel that way about records too. Uh, like I'm, uh, I like to move on quick, you know, I'm already ready to make another record. This one's not even out yet. So 
I'm already making plans for the studio for this next record. So yeah, there there could be a huge disconnect on performing these songs if you just sat on them for years. You know what I mean? But you also could, uh, in the setting on a record for two years, lose interest, and then when it's maybe finally time to play that or release it, you might have gained interest in it again. You know, so much time goes past. So, but yeah, I'm 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 more of the let's put it out let's make a record now let's let's do it all quick which is probably not a good business model like if you're trying to sustain a a career and pay your bills and stuff like that you know but because it costs money to make a record too you know yeah yeah and and put some money into the marketing and publicity side of it that all costs so i understand why there's there's you know a couple year cycles in between records but yeah, my my preference is to put one out every year. You know, twelve months in between at the most is what I would like to do. As long as I have material and I'm working and feeling good about it, you know. Yeah, I, I think like it's if there's one thing that I've learned from talking with a lot of artists over the years, it's that for the most part, like your favorite song is kind of like that thing that you're working on now. You know, how often yeah. is that that yeah. the case? You know, where yeah. So the, the movement of, of the record is, I think that's just, it's paramount to all that. Speaking of which, like, um, one of the, the quotes that I, I use paramount because I read it in this uh, little thing that <laughs> I, I found really interesting that you said was about how you guys wanted to like practice restraint on, on mm-hmm. the recording process of this. Is that like also just, um, in part because of, you know, how grand the last record was, Sudden Opera, and how big it is? Or is it also in tied to, like, these songs being a specific feeling? It's both, yeah. yeah. I mean, the last record was pretty big, and um, I just prefer the songs to be forward more than the uh, everything around it, the style, the music, and all that. So... It it was it wasn't just trying to go against what sudden opera represented. It was just what I initially wanted, anyways. So it, it's not like I left that frame of mind ever. I've always wanted to make records where they're kind of, you know, song, story, narrative, the vocal first, and everything. Just over time, listening to music, you start realizing how you connect with music and you start seeing the similarities of the ones that you do connect with. And you're like, Oh, I, I hear what this guy's saying because the music is not overstylized or super avant-garde. It's because they're letting the story be the main focus. So, so I prefer that that way. And, um, restraint is, was the best way I could describe that. Um, because, you know, we could have went. I wanted it to feel like an actual performance too. You know, like dudes in a studio making a song together, and you could feel that. I wanted to feel that, and if you fill it up with, uh, you know, eight guitar parts and overdubs everywhere, then it doesn't even feel like it's living, breathing thing. It just feels kind of like a piecemeal kind of sound bites on your Pro Tools put together kind of sound, you know? Right. Yeah. So, you know, I think it also for this record specifically, it lends because, um, a lot of these songs are those little vignettes, these little stories 
these little character-driven yeah. vignettes. And that's obviously like story-focused. And, you know, when it's a little bit, I guess everything else is a little bit toned down, you're able to yeah. focus more so, more so on that story. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and, and there's a, something in uh, even the way you deliver or sing a song. If you're always singing in 11, you know, it's really hard to pay attention more to the, the subtleties of the lyrics or the story. So you kind of have to practice this straight, not just in the musical part of making a record, but even how you sing it. You know what I mean? So this one's a lot softer in, in that way as well. You know, I feel like sudden opera, I was, it felt like I was screaming the whole record. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I, I really love that record though. I think. Like, oh, that's oh yeah. A- yeah, I have a feeling that each record I make is going to be a, a different, different beast altogether, and and that's, I'm okay with that, you know. Yeah, well, this record to me, like one of the things that I felt um, that a lot of the stories, as far as like, especially something like Calico Jim or like Hillbilly Possessed, obviously mm-hmm. you're you're talking about this specific corner of of your home, right, of Northwest mm-hmm. Georgia and all that stuff. Uh, Dade County and everything. But what I felt like so much of like these stories, what they felt like to me was whenever um, you'd, you'd hear like your parents talk about, oh, do you remember so-and-so? And yeah. then like they'd go, oh, yeah, like we went to – yeah, I was in high school with him. Yeah, he, I guess he was a couple years older than him, than me, yada, yada, yada. And then it's like, well, this is what happened. And the, the, those stories to me feel very much like that. As far as like this, like really interesting, I guess like maybe a little bit of strangeness to him, because especially like with something like Hillbilly Possessed. Yeah, yeah, it's strange, but it's it's almost literal too. You know, it's like it's mm-hmm. an actual it's an actual story that a lot of folks have been a part of around here. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I wanted to write about North Georgia. I'm not sure why I felt so strong about that I'm glad I did. I don't think that I will always make records that are so focused on where I live. You know what I mean? But right now in this time of my life, it felt important to do that. And like I told you, it was recorded in August and probably 80% of the song, eight of the songs on the record were written during the pandemic. You know, that little window of, probably three to four months from like March up until making the record. So it was all fresh in my mind. And I said, I want to make this record right now. Cause I had another batch of songs ready to go for a different record. If we wanted to go that route, which, which is what I'm plotting now, (laughs) always plotting, making records. And that's my favorite thing to do more than touring is just making records, you know? Like, not songs. I like writing songs, obviously, but it's more of a record thing that I, I think in terms of. Is it so, like, is that part of like the, the recording process or is that more so like plugging in these bits of that story to tell like that, not necessarily like that full on concept record or anything like that, but like plugging in those hoes and seeing it from a little bit further back as far as like what you love so much about that record making process? Um, I read a lot of books, uh, literature, novels, and, and such. So, mm-hmm. whenever I see 
music, like in images, or I don't. I guess I don't see it in the, the stereotypical way that people make records or make songs or even take part in the business. I see every record like a book, almost. You know, it's like it's it's like planning and plotting out a book. An author releases a book every few years or even longer sometimes. You know, and that's how records are. Like books to me, they're not they're not like this fun thing that you can't wait to get out on the road and perform for everyone for a few years. I, I don't ever see it that way, and a lot of people do, I believe. It's, it's, it's you know how books you don't have to perform them, obviously. I, I'm <laughs> sure they do those reading tours and stuff like that, but once it's over, it's like you just you're spent and it's you're glad that that's out of you. And, that's how I feel about records. So sometimes it's hard for me to hit the road and tour, even though that's a crucial part of this. Uh, it's hard to hit the road and tour and just hammer those songs out for a year live. You know, I'm like, I'm always wanting to play even newer songs or, but you know, it's, it's tough trying to figure out your own path in, in this, in this business. Yeah. I, I find it really interesting about the whole, you know, you're writing most of this, like the bulk of the record in between, like during this pandemic, because I've, a lot of these songwriters I've talked with over the past year, mm-hmm. it was almost like, you know, the, the, I guess like the best thing you can give a songwriter is time. If like, that's the, probably the thing, like if, if you asked everyone pre pandemic, what's the one thing you could, you want? And most of them would probably say time. Um, yeah. but then like you're, you're given this huge block of time to, uh, and it, I don't know if like art for them works that way as far as being able to songwrite like that, where it's just like you're stuck at home and you're now right. Um, so I, I, what I'm saying though, is like, I find it really interesting that you were able to u- utilize the time in that way where, you know, some other songwriters I've talked with, they had to like channel that artistic expression in other forms of art. Yeah. 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 It's phases and stages for me. I try to, wake up and think about I've, I've been thinking about writing a lot lately and uh, it's like have you ever seen A Beautiful Mind the movie mm-hmm. with Russell Crowe and he's lost his mind he's kind of crazy or whatever I can't remember what it's about totally I think he was hallucinating seeing people right yeah, I believe it, I think. Right. He was, uh, sch- but he would see equations floating up in his in the air in front of him you know what i mean mm-hmm. and i started feeling like that about songs unfinished songs i have and it's like uh, you're always trying to uh, rein in these songs and control them and it's, it's very hard to do i think that's what makes it's a difference between someone that writes songs and doesn't. And we all have things floating up there, but pulling them in and shaping them and finishing them, which is it's a difficult thing to do. I'm trying to let them float up there and just hang out without me trying to impose my will on them so much anymore. And I constantly have things just floating around up there. And I write them in my notebooks and different files on the computer and stuff like that. I still try to control them a little bit and shape them up, but... So even when I'm not putting pen to paper and really focusing in on a song, I'm still writing like constantly all day. I don't have a a normal job. I don't have a job really. I'm not playing shows either right now. So, (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, every day is I'm writing, even when I'm not literally, literally writing. You know what I mean? So right. And I've you can squander time pretty easily. So I can understand how people that tour a lot uh, during this pandemic and they couldn't, so they maybe didn't know how to use that time efficiently. You know, but I I never have like touring a lot. Like I said, I know it's part of the deal and I do it, but, uh, I don't tour as much as a lot of folks out there. So when all this quarantining started happening, I was like, man, this is perfect for me. I kind of like this. And, uh, it just felt like a, an, uh, exaggerated kind of day to day, my normal day to day, just a little bit exaggerated, you know, no, no restaurants or movie theaters, but, I'm still sitting around the house writing in my robe, <laughs> being lazy, <laughs> writing, and then going and making dinner. And, you know, it kind of felt the same. I'm tired of it now, obviously. It's been almost a year, so that, that sucks. And, and I have children, and they actually got COVID. They, their uh, mom and stepdad and them, they, they all got COVID, and I didn't get to see them for almost a month, and it was right around Christmas. So I don't like this for sure, but it hasn't been uh, a negative impact on my writing. It's actually just freed up more time for me to write more. Yeah. No, I... I... That was a long answer to that kind of question, wasn't it? (laughs) This episode of New Slang is brought to you by Hot Damn Coffee. Rolling in from the hills of eastern Tennessee is Hot Damn Coffee. It's a down-home company that roasts single-origin, high-quality coffees from around the world. Their year-round roasts come from certified farms in Ethiopia, Tanzania, and Nicaragua. Check out the Hot Damn website over at hotdam.coffee. There you can find more info on their operation and roasting process and some helpful tips on how to brew the best cup of coffee. They've certainly made my mornings that much better. And to be perfectly honest, I enjoy a nice cup of coffee at all hours of the day. Some of my favorites have been the Tanzanian Peaberry in Medium Roast, and the medium roast of Nicaraguan with the honey process. While there, check out their Hot Damn Coffee Club, which is a monthly subscription service. With the holiday season coming upon us, it's just really kind of the perfect gift. I don't care how difficult or easy a person is to shop for, they'll always be good with items like high quality coffee. And of course, right now, if you throw in the promo code SLANG in all caps, that's S-L-A-N-G, you'll get 20% off your order. And if you're signing up for the Coffee Club subscription service, they'll take 20% off that first month and also throw in a bonus 8-ounce bag of their Nicaraguan coffee. Again, that's slang in all caps. Head over to hotdam.coffee and sign up today. All right, let's get back to the episode. No, I mean, I get it because like... um, I, I feel like I'm very much kind of the same way. I'm typically like a homebody and um it is very very easy to like squander that that time but like it's it's kind of like just trying to like you know not necessarily make yourself but i always think when when there's something that's kind of a task it's that first five minutes of making yourself do it and then you kind of just forget about like not wanting to do it and so like for me like yeah it's yeah it's easy like just oh you can just throw on some netflix or like season yep. of the wire or something and just kind of yep. like waste the day, waste the week. Um, yep. but then like, 
you know, a couple of weeks go by and I, I just kind of always felt, you know, oh, I just need to start doing something. And um, I, I guess like a lot of the times with those other songwriters that I'm talking about, they wound up finding other things as far as like gardening or like writing, um, not necessarily songs, but like writing other stuff, um, trying to like do short story writing or like free, free, just uh, whatchamacallit, when you just kind of like right off the top of your head kind of thing. Um, yeah, man. Or like painting and or just other stuff to kind of get yeah. that the juice is flowing because you know, it's um I don't know like it, to me I guess like we 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 sometimes get it stuck in our head that you as the writer when you write a song, we're only like counting the time when you picked up the guitar, picked up the pen, started jotting down the lines and yeah. then to to it's finished. And it's clearly not like that. I think no, like that, no. that that the beautiful mind analogy is exactly like spot on because there yeah. is all that time beforehand and even during the process that you're just constantly thinking about it or not necessarily even constantly, but you're, it's always yeah. up there. Yeah. 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 It's, it's not as uh, black and white as it could seem to some folks. You sit down, start a song, finish the song. It's over with. It's, it's definitely not that way for me. And yeah, I do paint. I mean, I'm not a painter, but I paint. I have oil paints, canvases, and you know my easel. And I bought my youngest son some painting stuff. He likes to paint. And I tried the gardening thing in the beginning of the pandemic. I'm not much of a green thumb. I don't like doing things that I don't do well, and that's that's one of them. So it's hard to do that. I watch a ton of movies. I read constantly. So yeah, all those things feed in to each other you know I, if you just sit at home and just write songs all day and nothing else that kind of i don't know what what would come out of that really you know yeah. but I, I haven't i haven't focused in on i know a lot of people write poems and stories and work on i don't know if it would sound kind of crazy to say songwriters working on a novel just randomly without ever have written a story so um but I I can't I obsess over the thing I do and I want to do it the best I can and I can't write songs to the best of my ability while also giving a hundred percent to writing stories. I mean that just mathematically doesn't really work out, you know. I gotta yeah. give them my all to one of the things. Painting, that's not a thing that I would ever try to do seriously, so it's fun to just mess around with that, you know. Yeah. Like there's, yeah. are you, have you, have you, uh, are you familiar with the writer, John Crowker? I, I think that's how he pronounces it. Yeah. The Into the Wild yeah, Fella. Yeah. So he was on this podcast that I listen to all the time called, uh, the press box. And mm. because in, into the wild, I guess is like now, um, as far as the book goes, I think it's like 25 years old now, which is ridiculous. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, so they're interviewing him and, and he's like not a, he, he didn't start out as like, you know, a professional writer. He was, he's, was a mountaineer trying to like, you know, climb mountains. And then he fell into journalism and then that's how he ended up becoming a writer. And of course, writing all these other books. And yeah. he was talking about how, you know, into the wild writing that book was like the only enjoyable book process of like the actual writing that he enjoyed. Oh yeah. Like everything else was just so fucking hard. And my, I guess like my point on all this is that, 
writing like a novel, writing a book is like really fucking hard. And like, it's taxing on like, not just you, the person, the individual, but you know, on your family and, you know, just go, go, you know, read about JD Salinger and like his relationships with family. And yeah. 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 That, that sounds like writing a book, like a novel like that. That sounds like the way that a lot of people think, all writers are like songwriters. I feel like if you're writing a novel, you need to have a good solid schedule, you know, and that you work and consistently go to it. And, um, you know, rituals probably matter a lot more in writing a novel than it does writing a song, at least for me, you know, if I was going to write a story, I would need to wake up every morning and, you know, sit there for three hours writing and do that every day. weekends off maybe but with songwriting it's a little bit more loose than that you know yeah to me for me it is yeah well yeah because you're you're fitting in you don't have to maybe 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 it's that you don't have to you're not using as much to tell and so um yeah like at the you know you're writing a five minute song versus a i guess even like the the minimum short stories is probably you know a good you know five minute read at least um but uh, yeah, and you're singing and you're playing an instrument. There's more things in, involved in that 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 matter that take a little time and some perspective to look back on. And writing a story, yeah, it should be musical and you know have some melody and tempo, but it's not being sung in a voice with with a guitar or a piano. So there's there's less involved in writing a story in that sense, I guess. Yeah. Well, what I was wanting to ask though is like you, you know, you, you are a reader. Do you have you do you mm-hmm. pick up on like the uh or like have you borrowed any of like the I guess like the, the cadence of 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 a, of a novel or anything like that of just like the pacing of that side of I guess the writing th- side of of when you're reading or is it just more just to deal with you know entertainment aspects? Um I'm sure I'm sure I, I borrowed and stolen from all of these folks, uh, especially in the beginning, unconsciously more so now if I do. It's, uh, mm-hmm. it's just I'm influenced by a lot of different writers, and they all have their own styles and content of what they write about, too. You know, I mean, I love Dennis Johnson. You know who that is? Dennis Johnson? Dennis Johnson. No, I guess not, no. He's a, he's a he's, he died a couple of years ago, I believe. But he's he's a favorite of mine, and reading, trying to finish Brothers Karamazov by Dostoevsky. I've started it like eight times, and I'm about four hundred pages deep, which is halfway right now. So I read I read a lot, man. You know, and uh, and just the way that you know some of my favorite writers looked at building a book. You know, I would have separate parts, you know, different movements. Like Dostoevsky was a big Shakespeare fan, so he was very dramatic in his way he wrote and it kind of felt like a play if you if you you know that he loved Shakespeare and you start reading his books like that, you're, you could see that influence clearly. But uh, so I, I think if you learned my influences of writers and then you listen to my records, you'll be like, oh, I see how he was influenced by this or that, you know. But without knowing any of the writers, you might not recognize it, you know. Yeah. And I don't, I don't sit down and purposely like, oh, I'm all right, just like this guy. It's just just what happens. Influences, 
they build us, you know. Yeah. They make us who we are. Yeah, of course. I I I think like with Dostoevsky, like any of his books, like minimum five starts on. <laughs> I think it, like yeah, he's, he's, <laughs> he's he's one of the the greatest to me. Uh, people say you're either a Dostoevsky or a Tolstoy dude, and you can't really be both. And I kind of believe that. I, I try to do the Tolstoy, <laughs> and it's just seems boring to me compared to him for some reason. But some people think the complete opposite of that. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah, I don't know. I find like what's like the, the writing and like, or not the writing, but the reading of, of our authors and writers of, you know, everything from short stories to, to even journalism, like any of the, like their long form kind of stuff like that. I always mm-hmm. wonder if like, if there's ever anything like where you, you realize that you're picking up on like, Oh, I bet like it's probably more so, if you were able to like map out vocabulary, mm-hmm. I bet that's a stronger tie. Yeah, probably so. Yeah. And yeah, because I love Dostoevsky. He was a Russian obviously. And, uh, I'm not a Russian. He lived in the 1800s and I live in it's 2020, 2021 now. So the content of what I write would be nothing similar to what he writes, you know, but maybe underneath all of it at the the bones of it could have some similarities because he wrote a lot about peasants, which would be rural folk. And, um, uh, I live in a rural town, so it would kind of connect in that sense, you know? Yeah. This episode of new slang is brought to you by the blue light live here in Lubbock, Texas. Blue light has undoubtedly been my home away from home over the years and has played such a vital role, not only for my development as a journalist, but obviously it's been one of the foundational pieces for a lot of your favorite songwriters and bands who have made it out of the Lubbock area over the years. And of course, as a music venue, they've played such a pivotal role for a lot of your favorite bands just in general. One of my favorite parts about Blue Light is just how versatile the place can truly be. I've seen it crowded and rowdy on a Saturday night for a rock and roll band, and I've seen it dead still on a Wednesday when a legendary singer-songwriter rolls through town. What you should do is go over to bluelightlubbock.com and check out all the new merch they've added. Hats, t-shirts, both short and long sleeve. They also have hoodies and koozies and just added some sweatshirts that are very much an homage to the college sweatshirt that John Belushi wore in Animal House. And then, of course, maybe the crown jewel of their new merch is the Varsity Club-style jacket in blue satin. I got one the other day. And yeah, it's just one of my favorite things I own now. And yeah, I don't know. I just love it. Anyway, you can check out all of their new merch over at bluelightlubbock.com. As always, I'll throw a link into the show notes for easy access. Okay, let's get back to the show. Oh, which connecting to like going back to like these being like little vignettes, these little character driven songs. Like, are these stories, like, are the, are these characters, are they, like, uh, you know, usually I guess, like, a lot of people, they'll, they'll mention how, like, this character is based off of this person, this person, this It's never, it's an alg- uh, amalgamation of, of people and not necessarily, like, one person. Uh, is that true for you? Like, what is, like, what, what, are, what, are, what are some of these characters? Are they based off of anyone, like, you personally know or just, like, the idea of that person? Yeah, all of that. Just the idea 
mixed with my thoughts, some of my experiences, some people's I know experiences, historical experiences. It's just everything. It's I, I don't think I've ever sat down and wrote a song about this one person and this one experience and just kept to the facts. I haven't ever done that. I don't think. So yeah, it's just one big old stew of anything that just feels good when I sing it. You know, that's, I mean, it's, it's very, um, um, selfish. It sounds like whenever I describe what I write and why I write what I write, it's, it's to entertain me first, you know, and then I, I'm certain that there are people out there like me. So then maybe they connect with it. But yeah, it's a, just a big stew of everything that interests me. Yeah. Was I used it- to write more personal songs, you know. I think we all start off that way, more hard on the sleeve kind of thing. It's, a, it's an easier way to get out your emotions and you don't need any kind of education in anything it's just whatever you're feeling you know so that's a real instinctual way to write in the beginning i think for a lot of people yeah it's uh as like i think like a lot of times it's tied to teenage angst of like you know the world doesn't get me you know and here's why (laughs) yeah yep and then it goes into that punk territory the the world doesn't get me and i don't give a fuck you know what i mean (laughs) yeah they rail against it harder so yeah but that's not how i write these days for sure uh i I just have no interest in in that type of writing yeah was there what what song i guess like kind of kicked off this this record as far as like what was like the earliest of this 10 song record like what kind of inspired say hey what this collection is going to be about calico gym and this area i would say i think the calico gym song is the one that kind of sparked the other ones you know mm-hmm. and then there were two that i'd written already that i put on there which was uh bodark and guru those were a couple years old they just seemed to fit you know it worked out okay and they gave a different kind of vibe than the rest of the songs but i'd say calico jim and then like sawtooth jericho and then jimmy the cop it just started feeling like a lot of it was related to each other and that's probably because i wrote them all in a tight window you know uh, with the same things going through my head i was reading uh, some rousseau and his essays about uh, the savage and the original man and how he, the uncivilized man, and it just kind of resonated with me, like the mountain folks back in the day, the Scotch-Irish, hanging out in the mountains, just wanting to be left alone and uncivilized was a derog- derogatory derogatory word to describe these folks, you know, uncivilized, but they preferred it. And then, you know, industrialization came and started drawing them out some of them and then it took over the towns and outsiders started buying up all the rural areas to mine for whatever they wanted to mine and and then it, I, I think each song started uh kind of pushing me to write another song to lay out a a, a broader story of north georgia which was fun to write 
it was like, uh, you know, Faulkner's kind of world that he created down there in Mississippi, the fictional world. It just felt like that. And there's a part of me that wants to continue that. I don't, I don't think on the next record, but maybe the next one, you know, like a, a brother sister record to Calico Jim, you know, I, I've got some songs written that I think would work that way. So maybe that'll happen. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned like the, like living off the mountain kind of thing. You know, you have that yeah. line in Jimmy the cop about, uh, the uncle, like living off the grid since he left, yeah. uh, Roan mountain, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Not a lot of opportunities. Um, job wise around here so a lot of people cooking mess <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i mean i don't i don't run in those circles so i don't have the insider information you know like i would have as a younger man i'm not that wild anymore I'm pushing 41 and i have children but i have plenty of reserves to work on for i think the rest of my life on being poor and sleeping on couches and doing bad things to people, to myself. You know, I've, I've lived a, a long and kind of weird life. So I don't have to, a lot of people I think feel like you have to continue that so you can actually say you're being authentic when you write. But I don't know if I agree with that, man. I mean, I just, I think yeah. John Prine said he would, he would trade away all his songs if it meant being happy or miserable. He would choose happy and just not write anymore, you know. And I, I feel the same way. Oh no, I abs- that's that's one of my big things actually. Is like we romanticize the, you know, the struggling artist and the, um, yeah. you know, like the the Towns Van Zant kind of characters of having to be yeah. quote unquote rock bottom to get any of this great art, and yeah. I. I couldn't agree less like you know it's yeah. just because you <laughs> you know you don't have to be miserable to, to write great art or to create and i think yeah, a lot not of like, cur- you don't have to currently be miserable you can recall what misery felt like at some point in your life and just draw on that eternally you know you don't need to stay miserable is how i feel about that yeah um one of the things like one of my buddies talks about is how you know, the it comes to the authenticity thing of, uh, you know, if you need to keep it authentic. And it's like, well, you know, if that was the case, then like legit coal miners would have like the best coal mining songs or like, <laughs> yeah. you know, the and how many times have you met these people who if you ask them to write a great story, they could tell you a great story, but they couldn't necessarily put it into that form. So it's always yeah. like just more so like being adjacent to whatever that is. Yeah. Yeah. I, you could live within a community that is, uh, you know, poor and a dark place seemingly and, and not be poor and dark and, and still have an authority on what it feels like. And it be authentic. You could, you know, you don't have to be poor to write about that type of thing. And, Man, there's so many history books that give such good information that you could just take it from there and it feels accurate, you know. So, 
yeah, I don't buy that anymore either. I know it's a romantic way, and it's a good, um, it's a good um, an excuse, but I can't think of a word. But the excuse will work here. You know, it's a good excuse to just fucking be shitty. You know, mm-hmm. like I'm doing it for the sake of making art. You know, whatever. But <laughs> I don't buy it. I don't buy it at all. And it usually doesn't work whenever it's coming from those folks that do buy it and do swear by it. It's usually like I don't enjoy their tunes or records anyway, so it's pointless to even think about it, you know? Yeah. As you know, like listeners will go like, Oh, he mentions this all the time, but it's the, to, to me, like we, we typically interchange authenticity and being genuine and those aren't like the same thing. And to me, like you being genuine and being a genuine songwriter or an artist is way more important than you being authentic. Just a little bit of authenticity goes like a long way. Yeah, and intent too. It matters. Yeah, yeah. quite a bit. You know. Yeah, I mean, right, everybody has different uh, tastes and what they think is good or what they think is authentic, and we're never going to please everyone. So just, I just try to do what I enjoy and stick with it. Yeah. Uh, I want to go back to like you, you talking about recording this record in Arkansas in, at, in Little mm-hmm. Rock. And um, obviously we did have restraints because of COVID and everything like that, where yeah, you're able to write this record within a few months in that period. But, you know, I'm assuming that like that doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean you had that same amount of time or as much leeway when it came to, like the arranging of the record and like understanding the feel of what this record was. Was there a lot of, or was there just like a, you know, I guess, was there any kind of uh, like pre-production aspects or, or did you guys go in there with kind of like more of a, a looser slate on what you wanted this record to be when you went in to start recording? Well, we kept it simple. Um, the songs were completely written. I'd written them so exactly, I'd sent memos to everyone, voice memos from my iPhone, and we made a record exactly like the memo was. It was it wasn't like, hey, let's maybe move the chorus around here. So that was set in stone before even going there. And what I think is crucial is who you choose to play with, the personnel. Mm-hmm. If you choose a, a drummer or a rhythm section that you know understands. The, your taste and is similar in what they listen to and who they admire as a drummer or a producer, then it's going to be easy to, to just, you know, just say, Hey, I, I want it to have this kind of feel. And it's very easy. You know, if you got friends that they get you and understand what you want. So I think that's the first step in making records is to get the right people not just good people, like a studio people. There's tons of those guys that are just amazing musicians. But if you can't speak the same language, then it's not going to work. So that's number one. Uh, number two is I didn't want much. You know what I mean? I wanted it to be kind of simple when we were in there and just sound like guys making music together. So we weren't trying to reinvent the wheel. We're just letting the songs, whatever felt like, should be there is what we kind of went with. And my guitarist and I had been playing 
together for like three years and we've been doing duo stuff but i think most of the songs he hadn't even we'd never played them live or and he hadn't written parts yet because i'd just written them during the pandemic you know but yeah it was it, we just kept it simple we didn't think too hard about pre-production and uh, the drummer patty ryan uh he's from tulsa he's he's from that same he's john prine big john prine fan and He's like, yeah, man, just whatever the song calls for, that's what we'll do. And I'm like, that's that's just how I feel about it, too. And, and that's how I felt about this record. I might not feel that way about every record, but mm-hmm. that's what I wanted to do on this one. So, yeah, not a lot of pre-production, not a lot of hardly any overdub, maybe some guitar things. But what we would do is go in there and uh, we'd play the song <clears throat> together. Uh, live and try to get the best full band take and then that would just kind of be it you know that's the one that just felt like it had the right kind of life and everybody played good and i would re-sing some things and it was it's it's a very simple way to making music it wasn't too complicated and it was fun and uh that's how i like it to happen yeah, like to me, like this record felt very just organic. It felt yeah. very much like a, or it does feel, it feels very yeah. much like a, you know, um, I, I hate to use the word simple or something like that, but it's it's not complicated, I guess, is what, yeah. the way I'd put yeah. it. Very it's easy not bogged like, down with yeah. any kind of overthinking. Yeah, it wasn't that. It was more natural. That was the, the hope, and I didn't know that would happen, but that was the hope. And it kind of worked out good. I think we were there for five days straight. And then I mean, Cody stayed an extra day to help kind of do a rough mix with Jason, the studio owner and engineer, and he mixed the record as well. Yeah, man, it's just, I tried to keep it a small, simple, close to home kind of thing. I grew up two hours from Little Rock like high school and stuff. I went to school and I grew up in East Texas. And so that even though it wasn't local to me now, it felt local to my other life before I got to Georgia. Mm-hmm. And then I had a buddy down the road in Rome, Georgia, do the art for me and the vinyls being pressed in Athens, Georgia. And just, uh, it was very deliberate and all these choices. It was important to me. Yeah. What, okay, so I didn't know you were not originally from Georgia. How, how, I guess, like, how did you end up in in Georgia? What's the the story? Yeah, I've been uh, right here, in basically Chatsworth, Georgia, Murray County, for 16 years. But I moved out here uh, from East Texas, and I I got married to someone from here, and that's I had children. I was married for 10 years, and uh, so this is where I will be forever because of these children and i love it here and i love east texas too but i mean that's just you know maybe when the kids get older we me and my my wife now can move but we're we're pretty uh stuck on staying put i mean i I grew up not staying put so it's a foreign kind of way for me sticking things out. You know, <laughs> I've, I've moved all over the place, lots of different States, lots of cities, lots of schools before it was my own choice to move. You know, I went to at least 10 
like middle and high school junior highs before I finally ended up in East Texas. But, um, yeah, I, I got married and um, got divorced. And some people move away from their kids, but it was a very important thing for me to be a part of my children's life. So that's why I'm still here. Yeah. I, I only bring that up just because, you know, a lot of times when someone writes about a place, it's almost mm-hmm. because of the, there's that. And I think like, it's just, it's naturally just a part of it. And it's the nostalgic aspect of their childhood, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I, I find that really interesting that, you know, you're writing about a place that, yeah, by all intents and purposes is your home now, but yeah. you know, it's not tied in that childhood memory kind of way. Yeah. It's definitely not a childhood memory. Uh, I was born in Mississippi and lived there twice before we moved back to Texas where my mom and dad were from, I think when I was like 11, 10. So Mississippi would be my early memories. And I I don't, like I don't have those (laughs) for some reason. (laughs) And I have no desire to write about it either. And uh, I think maybe because Georgia is kind of where I finally figured myself out. It feels more home than anywhere I've ever lived. You know, it's kind of got not reinvent yourself, but I left a lot of baggage back in East Texas and a lot of uh, bad memories and a lot of crazy stuff. So moving here 16 years ago, it's kind of like starting over and clean slate and all my, my memories and experiences feel like they're from here for some reason. Yeah, no, I get it. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I, I, I I guess, like, you know, relating to this, because I was going to bring this up anyways, is the, I do find like the, the, um, location record, if you will, to be mm-hmm. like, they're being, it's, it's one of those things where people have always made records about where this little, like, you know, patch of land that they call home or whatever for forever. Um, yeah. but it feels like within the last, you know, 10 years or so, um, that, that these, these records are, I guess like it's been re, um, repopularized in a lot of ways. And I think that yeah. like maybe it's tied to Jason Isbell and him releasing Southeastern. There being like yeah. a, maybe like a Renaissance period of these records about corners of my place. Of course, like Springsteen's always done it, but yeah, you get what Nebraska. I'm saying? Yeah. yeah, that was a good one. Uh, yeah, I understand, and and I feel like I don't feel like I wrote about North Georgia out of a place of proud uh, being where I'm from, or a place of this is my local pride. Right. You know, I, I mean, I didn't really like glorify or write about the beautiful things of North Georgia, so it wasn't to show how I'm proud of where I'm from. I mean, although I think being proud of where you're from is kind of weird anyways. I mean, <laughs> you're just there. So what's, why are you so proud of that? You know, you should take pride in your community work and things you do like that. But just be, having this empty kind of pride when you just said, oh, just because you're from there, that's kind of weird to me, you know. But uh, <laughs> I get that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't write it from that point or POV. It's just. I don't know why I wrote about place and why I was so interested in it, you know, I, but 
you're right about the Renaissance and Isabel. I think his was more of a broad blue collar than a certain or a specific corner or pocket of places. This is more of a universal kind of thing, which can resonate with more people for sure. Um, yeah, man, I don't know. Um, it's kind of, it's kind of, uh, I'm thinking about my next record and there's some kind of, obligation that, that I shouldn't have, but I've, I, I put these things on myself all the time where I feel like I'm supposed to continue, like no matter what, writing about North Georgia and that I have no authority to write about anything other than this area, you know, and that's ludicrous. I can write about whatever I want to, you know, <laughs> but yeah. I put these stipulations on myself and I don't know why. I'm trying not to because it, it limits you know the songs that I could release. I think there, I have a, a record that I could release that has nothing to do with North Georgia, but I feel weird about that for some reason. Like I need to be writing about here, and I don't know why. It's strange. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. Like the the local or like where you're from, like the, that proudness. Yeah. Um, I do also find it strange, even though I will fully admit that. You know, as a Texan, like I almost always just nat- naturally say, "Oh yeah, I'm from West Texas," and mm-hmm. like there is like that. You're from Texas. You're in Texas. I didn't know that. Yeah, I'm out here in Lubbock. So oh, yeah, uh, yeah. But yeah, you just I don't know. It, my whole thing on any kind of like regionalism, I guess, as far as like you being proud of that area or like just yeah, is it shouldn't be like the number one thing on your list of like being proud of, like that can't be your yeah. entire, uh, your I identity. Guess. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, <laughs> that's but it, it is, it is for a lot of small towns for sure. And yeah, I grew up in Texas and when I moved here, I was proud of Texas for some weird reason. I'm like, yeah, I'm from Texas. I'm like, what? I don't feel that. <laughs> I don't feel like I'm from Texas anymore. It's kind of just went away. But Texas is one of the, I would say one of the, one of the leading states in in this weird kind of pride, you know. Yeah, <laughs> they're their own ecosystem. <laughs> Everything that you guys are. My mom was born in Amarillo, and oh, still got okay, a lot yeah. of family there. Yeah, rodeo cousins. You you know anything about rodeo? Uh, a little bit. No, I'm not like, you know, former Bear Bronc rider or nothing like that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah a, a touch of it, I guess. Yeah, my cousin is like some uh, Hall of Famer. His name's Trevor Brazil. I don't even barely know him, though, but he's like, uh, I don't even know what he does, roping, calf roping and all that jazz, but he's like 10-time, I don't even know what their awards are called or anything like that, but he's he's big time in the rodeo world, and he's out of Amarillo. and uh, That's close to Lubbock. Yeah. It's close enough. Yeah, it's... Uh... Yeah, I I think like it's always funny like I guess like just how big Texas is, you know? Cuz you you mentioned like East Texas during all this. And that's not even I don't Texas even, to you. <laughs> yeah, like that's exactly it. And like West Texas ain't like Texas to anyone from really East Texas either. Yeah. It's it's like there's so many the Texan pride thing in general. Yes, there's that overwhelming Texan pride thing, but there's also yeah. like 
five states within the state of Texas. Yeah, that's true. There's individual regional Texas prides, <laughs> East Texas. And, yeah. yeah, It's crazy. East Texas reminds me a lot of North Georgia without the mountains and hills. It's kind of the pine trees and right. even the people and sometimes the accents as well. It kind of just feels the same, but it's prettier here. Is that in relation maybe to like it just kind of being – is there like more Southern Gothic in East Texas feel? Than, I would than say I would... there was more of that than any other Texas area. Yeah. 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 It feels Southern there and not like, um, like some Texas, it could just feel like the, the Midwest, you know what I mean? It doesn't feel like the South at all, but East Texas, it did definitely, uh, a lot of hillbillies in East Texas. And, um, Arkansas, you know, right there in Louisiana, right. Shreveport was like 40 minutes away. So Oklahoma, Oklahoma's, you know, it's hit or miss with feeling Southern or not sometimes too, you know, like Texas. Yeah. it's Texas to me feels very transitional. Yeah. Um, yeah. There is like that aspect of the Midwest. I think people underrate Oklahoma as far as being Midwestern because it is so oh, yeah. close to like Kansas City and like yeah, that yeah. version of the Midwest, but yeah, like obviously Texas has like more of a, a Western frontier feel to yeah. the further West you get. I'm not stating anything groundbreaking there, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. East Texas always, I always felt like I was from the South when I lived there, but, uh, I didn't realize that I basically wasn't until I, you know, ended up here in Georgia. It's a different, it's a different type of, the way people view things, it's just pretty different. <laughs> it's been really great talking with you today, dude. I really enjoy this record. And um, yeah, hopefully you, you come to Lubbock sometime. Yeah, man. I uh, appreciate you having me. And uh, thanks for digging the record. We, uh, I think we had some shows mm -hmm. booked for Dallas and, and Lubbock not long ago when this all you know started happening but uh hopefully we can get back out there all right thanks for listening be sure to check out calico gym when it is released this friday check out sudden opera in the meantime and yeah i'll see y'all later this week for another episode of new slang <laughs>